1: The new year is a time many use to reset, but how we reset will impact the success of our next steps. So, if you want a fresh start in 2020, join us for our New Year's Eve celebration at Hilton Chapel in Woodbridge. It will be a powerful worship experience. In addition to the Grace Worship Team, we will welcome National Recording Artist Shayna Wilson-Williams. Give me you,
2: everything else can wait,
1: just give me you. And as always, Dr. Greer will deliver a word that will equip you for what's ahead. This event is absolutely free and designed to help you end the year strong. So invite a friend and take advantage of this opportunity to connect with God and set your path for 2020 at our New Year's Eve celebration. Doors will open at 9 p.m. and service will begin at 10. For more information, go to GraceChurchVA.org and we will see you there.
0: Grow, can be bigger yeah. Just grow Let the world my yeah. life bigger than yourself You're created for greatness Live a life bigger than
2: yourself Welcome to Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer Glad you decided to join us today. Remember, you can get access to this message and a full library of teaching from Dr. Greer at gracechurchba.org. As we dive deep into the Word of God, we believe that it changes us and empowers us to think big, do big, and live big. This type of living will not only impact our lives, but will inevitably bless others. So, our hope is that this broadcast inspires you to live big. Here's Dr. Greer.
0: Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. I think our subject today uh, fits the season. We're going to have relatives over, or we're going over to relatives. And, um, you know, sometimes tension rises, you know, old family, you know, competitions and struggles surface again often this time of year when you, you know, confine for a couple of days with folks you love and have a history with Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna um, learn some things today and I think we're gonna be blessed uh, through the teaching of the word let's go to God in prayer father we thank you for your word that shall not return unto your void but it shall accomplish your purposes in each life today enlarge us strengthen us and make us more like the individual in this text you designed us and have ordained us to imitate and we give you glory for it in advance and the church says amen Amen. luke chapter 10 beginning with the 25th verse and behold a lawyer or a scribe a man trained extensively in the law of moses it was his job daily to explain the ins and outs of the law to others throughout israel Well, this man in the midst of one of Christ's teaching, was probably indoors at this time, stood up, so the room was probably sitting, but this man decided to to take the spotlight for a moment. It says he stood up to put him to the test. The question he was about to ask was really a setup, and strong people and wrong people will often test you before they follow you. It's part of the process, so don't get mad at them, you know' don't, don't have a fit. Watch how Jesus answers and responds and deals with this man. Well, he stood up to test him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, his question is about his deeds again, he's steeped in the law of Moses and Jesus is about to quickly change the focus from his his deeds to to his heart, but let's give the master some time. Verse 26, Jesus said to him, Sir, what is written in the law? Now, Jesus could have just answered this on, on the sly or off the hip, if you will. But Jesus appeals to Scripture as the absolute authority for faith and practice. We need to do the same thing. And he said to the man, How do you read it? The issue was not what this scribe or lawyer read, but how this lawyer read. Do you stretch the scriptures to kind of, you know, just kind of fit your behavior? You know, I'm going to make this mean, you know, what I want it to mean because I don't want to change how I behave. And Jesus said, there's an issue, sir, not just really with, with what you read as much as how you read. This man answers the master. He said, this, this is what the Scripture says. So he just quotes the text. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He, he accurately quotes here Deuteronomy 6 and 5. And then he adds Leviticus 19 and 18. And your neighbor as your Self. Jesus taught on this in the past. All the law and the prophets hinged on these uh, uh, verses here. Watch Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, "You've answered correctly, but it's funny how we can be correct and wrong at the same time." He said, you, "You've answered the question correctly. Do this, and you will live, Mister Scribe. It's not enough." to know the law or recite the law. You must do it in order to earn eternal life. James 2 and 10. Let's look at this a little more clearly. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and he understood the law. He was the half-brother of the master, grew up under the law, sat with the rabbis, and he said this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one minor point, has become accountable or responsible for all of it. What he was saying was that the law was a single unit, like a plane of glass. If you break one part of it, the whole glass is broken. The law was not just, you know, several hundred individual statements. If you defied one, you were guilty of it all. So what Jesus was saying to the man, the law, God doesn't require some good deeds in order for you to earn salvation. He requires all good deeds. How many of you know that none of us, now we could do some good things sometimes, but the requirements of the law was to do it all and do it perfectly. This man asked the question, what must I do to earn eternal life? And he said, what you got to do is do it all. That was the master's response, Luke 10 and 29. But he recognized there was a little bit of a rebuke in his statement. He said, well, 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 you have to do it all. And he kind of steps back a little bit. And it says in verse 29, but desiring to justify himself. Now, he just quoted a scripture about love while entrapping this gentle uh, Galilean, you know, who had who never done anything wrong. I mean, the, the Jesus, he was a good man. So he, quote, love your neighbor as yourself while trying to entrap the master. And you will find this to be true. People sometimes in the church will try to hurt you with scriptures in their mouth at the same time. And this is what what happens. And, and, you know, this is life uh, amongst religious folk. But he desiring, he refused to submit. To defend and protect and justify himself. His conscience was obviously pricked when Jesus said you got to live it and not just just quote it, and instead of saying you know what, Master, you, you, you're right, help me a sinner, the man dug in and watch watch what he does. It, it, it's classic here. He says, "And who is my neighbor?" Instead of failing or instead of admitting that uh, his failure, what do he start doing? Redefining words. You find people doing this. You go on the internet, you know, things that that the Bible clearly says, you know what, that's not something God graces us for or called us to. What they'll start doing is redefining the terms to try to justify the deeds. Remember the present, I did not have relations with that woman. In his mind, he was right because he defined relations a certain way. So what did he do? He redefined the terms in order to fit him and make the announcement he made. And often what we do at the Scriptures, we start redefining terms in order for the Scripture to fit our lifestyle instead of adjusting our lifestyle to fit the Scriptures. So this has been around for a long time. Nothing's new under the sun. So he says, okay, and who is my neighbor? He knew if he could redefine this word neighbor, and he'd only have to love some people. And you see, we want to love people that agree with us, people that are like us. And he didn't feel that he had any obligation to love this itinerant minister from Galilee. You know, after all, he thought differently, talked differently, preached differently. And he said, You know what? You're not my neighbor, you're my enemy. And that scripture only applies to my, my, my enemy. So you know what? I don't accept your rebuke. And, and he begins to, 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 to defend himself. But watch the master's response. Jesus replied. Now that says a thousand words at one time in itself. Jesus could have very easily ignored the man and said, you're ignorant, you're stupid. I'm going to go on and talk to some folks that were here. Jesus didn't do that. God has so much patience, man. He puts up with us and deals with us even in our mess. But, but what Jesus did was something very, very powerful. He, he, he simply told a story. And we see this pattern frequently in Scripture. Before we continue in Luke, let's, let's go back and see this done in the Old Testament. Let's go to 2 Samuel 12, uh, verse 1. Now, we all know that David sinned with Bathsheba, and uh, we, we all know that, that, that story. But watch how God handled it he told a story. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and yelled at him and said, you're wicked, you're evil. No, he told a story. He wanted to speak to David in a way that David would not first become defensive. Stories have a way of disarming. Stories have a a way of helping us to be more objective because there are other characters in the story and it's not us. So God in his wisdom tries to reach David. You may be right, but if you don't reach the person that's wrong, your rightness is of no help to anybody in the room. So Nathan here is trying to win his brother to repentance. So he said to him, there were two men in a certain city. Now, David is full of conflicting emotions. I mean, he's a hypocrite. He's functioning as king. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. God has used him to write scriptures. And this man has done the things that he did. So he's not thinking clearly. He's, he's, just, he's just a mess. So God used an analogy to reach him. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks, in herds. Now, we, we already see a similarity. David doesn't know this is about him. But, you know, David had many wives. He had several wives, and they were beautiful women. Abigail, just, just some great women that he had married. But Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, uh, husband, only had one. So, uh, you know, rich man, all these, these ladies, one man, Uriah, he only had one wife. But the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had brought or paid a dowry for. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. This couple loved each other. This was not a couple in conflict. These were loving neighbors. They, they, and they loved, by the way, for a lot of years. You know, he was a young man. He loved it. She was a young girl, and, and he loved, and they, they just grew together. And, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him, a very, very close relationship between Uriah and Bathsheba. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man. Now, this reference is a little bit veiled, but we see in the New Testament, in Matthew 12 and 43, we're not going to read it all, but Scripture says that demons travel until they find a place to rest. So, This reference here is obviously to an evil spirit. Perhaps it was a spirit of lust that came on David. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. Meaning, David had several wives and legitimate avenues to deal with his masculine desires. But no, the grass is greener on the other side. How many of y'all, okay, y'all will be quiet, I'm sure, through this part of the message. So in spite of the fact he had his own means, he started looking at his neighbor's means. And he took the poor man's single lamb, five wives to choose from, but he got to have the lady up the street. And prepared it for the man or the traveler who had come to him. See, what Satan does is he takes natural appetites and stretches them beyond healthy boundaries. You see, there's nothing wrong with a man feeling a little bit of fire every now and then. That's normal for a healthy man and a healthy woman. You know, my, my kids, you know, they get a little bit older and they say, Dad, you know, what do I do with this? I say, Son, if you didn't have that problem, I'd be more worried. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so I'm glad that, that, you know, that's part of growing. as part of, of being a man. But here's the deal. Fire will cook meals and it can warm your house, but it will also burn it down if you don't keep it under control. So good things out of control can destroy you. There was nothing wrong with a man being attracted to a woman. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are that man, David and you step back and you look at it, and you got angry, didn't you? That anger you had against or have against that man is really anger you deserve. And when David saw it clearly, the Bible says he repented. And actually, he wrote a wonderful psalm. I believe it's Psalms uh, 51. But I, I wanted you to, to see the power of a story. And sometimes even when my wife and I, we're at disagreements, I'll step back and paint a word picture, and, and, and I'll see it object. Sometimes I'll, I'll go to a movie. You know what's interesting? Oftentimes I'll read the Bible, and I'll say, you know, this applies to that person, that person, that person, and then by the end of the story, I realize the main character was me. <laughs> and God sets us up in this book. There's stories when we think it's about David. We think it's about Paul and 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 uh, 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 Barnabas. It's really about us, and those those, those stories disarm because again, it's about them. But but then God brings it home, and God's just wonderful like that in His doing. Back to Luke ten and thirty, Jesus is telling now a story to capture the heart of this proud scribe that stood up in his meeting feeling he had more to say than the master and actually trying to correct him and trap Jesus through this question. Jesus calmly looks at him, and he really, he's about to win this man. A man was going down. See, I'm not going to talk about you. Let's back up. Let me just tell you a story. A man was going down to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17 to 20-mile journey journey. It's it's a descent, you know. It's it's a downhill uh, walk uh, over 3,000 feet uh, is is the descent, and actually, you end up below sea level. And this man that was on this journey, he fell amongst robbers. Uh, it was very. Dang- this road was extremely dangerous. It was known for the danger. That's why Jesus could very quickly uh, use this illustration. Um, you should never travel this 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 road alone. A lot of places for bad actors to to hide behind rocks, to be in trees. It's just a scary place. If you know, if you walk late at night in certain neighborhoods, you know, just certain places you don't want to walk. This was that place in uh, Israel, and he fell among robbers. The robbers, though. When they looked at this man that was by himself walking down the road, he didn't see the, 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 they didn't see the man as somebody's brother, someone's father, someone's son, someone's husband. All they saw was a target to be exploited. They objectified the man. And that's really what, 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 what Jesus is dealing with with this scribe. He began to objectify people. You're my enemy. You're no longer a person. You no longer have feelings. You, you're my opponent. You're, 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 you're in that other class. And and when he objectified people, actually he was he was uh, undermining the very law of, of Moses. Then it goes and says, these men stripped him. Now to us that seems a little bit strange, but back then people did not have as many changes of clothes as we do today, and clothes were very very valuable. So they took the clothes and they beat him. Remember at the cross, they took Jesus' garment. And they did not just take stuff from him. They hurt him. Again, uh, just taking my things, I might survive. But when you hurt me bad, that's personal. And then they departed, leaving him half dead. They left him naked, beaten, and barely alive. Uh, Now, by chance, a priest was going down that same road. And when they saw him, they immediately helped him. No. He passed by on the other side. You see, the robbers saw the man only as someone to be exploited. They saw him as a target. They only saw him uh, as a man who had some stuff that they could could get. But the priest, on the other hand, saw this man as a problem to be avoided. Now, here's the the million-dollar question. Who was worse? It's kind of hard to say. Do you see people as just problems to be avoided? Are people just targets to be exploited, customers or, or what have you, for, for, for your thing? So likewise, a Levite. Now, Levites, you all know, were special assistants to the priest. They, they majored on the tabernacle and they handled all that for These are religious leaders of the highest order. When the Levite came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on what? The other side. Both of these men preached God is the answer, but they avoided the man with the problem. Misguided religion will make you as, 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 as useless as a pet rock. How many of y'all remember pet rocks? We would go to the store, pay money, and buy a rock sitting on our counter, and treat it like a pet. Really? And sometimes our religion makes us just as useless. But then a Samaritan, now Jesus is telling a story, he's a master at this. He said, but but again, the priests, the Levites, these are esteemed leaders in Israel. But then a Samaritan, and, and, and Samaritans were, were, were Jewish half-breeds. They, they, they intermarried amongst themselves. They, they were the hillbillies of the ancient world, if you will. So the Samaritans walking down that same road, And as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You see, Jews traditionally hated Samaritans. Samaritans traditionally hated Jews. But this man was willing to look deeper than the skin color, deeper than this man's religious affiliation, political affiliations, and he saw another human being. And the Samaritan, whose doctrine was not right, actually did more to fulfill the law of Moses than the trained leaders in Israel. And we don't want the world to outdo us when it comes to love, if we are truly children of the light. He went to him. It's a Samaritan, it's a Jewish guy, supposed to be his enemy. But he sees past, and he's not just an object. He's not just a Jewish object. He's not just a Democrat. not just a Republican. Not, Not just, you know, an Iranian versus an American. No, no, no. He sees past that, and he saw a person. He bound up his wounds, asking no questions, just helping. Pouring on expensive oil and costly wine. Now, remember, this Samaritan is also in a hostile environment. This is a bad neighborhood. But nonetheless, he, he takes the risk of stopping where he could have been hurt too to give this man personal care.
2: You are listening to the Live Big broadcast with Dr. Derek Greer. We pray that you are inspired to think big, do big, and live big. Our goal is to compel you to live in a way that overflows and blesses those around you. Find out more about this broadcast, Grace Church, and Dr. Greer at gracechurchva.org. Dr. Greer and his wife, Pastor Yermitou, invite you to meet them at Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia for vibrant worship, Bible teaching, and fellowship each Sunday and Wednesday. Click GraceChurchVA.org for service times, directions, and much more. Again, that's GraceChurchVA.org. This has been Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer. Watch the Live Big broadcast Monday through Friday and every Sunday. Check your local TV listings or visit GraceChurchVA.org for the broadcast schedule. That's all the time we have. But until next time, remember, you have what it takes in Christ to live big.
1: The new year is a time many use to reset. But how we reset will impact the success of our next steps. So if you want a fresh start in 2020, join us for our New Year's Eve celebration at Hilton Chapel in Woodbridge. It will be a powerful worship experience. In addition to the Grace Worship Team, we will welcome national recording artist Shayna Wilson-Williams. Give me you.
2: Everything else can wait. Just give me you. And
1: as always, Dr. Greer will deliver a word that will equip you for what's ahead. This event is absolutely free and designed to help you end the year strong. So invite a friend and take advantage of this opportunity to connect with God and set your path for 2020 at our New Year's Eve celebration. Doors will open at 9 p.m. and service will begin at 10. For more information, go to GraceChurchVA.org and we will see you there.